the Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Checkpoint Software Technologies and Swish Data. Stay tuned for their message on cloud security. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Federal employees would get a 3.6% average pay raise next year under a new bill in both chambers of Congress. Congressman Jerry Connolly and Senator Brian Schatz are sponsors of the Federal Adjustment of Income Rates Act. Connolly says the new bill is similar to legislation they've introduced in the last two sessions of Congress. The search is on for a chief data officer in the Defense Department. Chief Information Officer Dana Deasy says he's, quote, considering qualified candidates to fill the job. This year's National Defense Authorization Act requires the CDO job to move to Deasy's office from the chief management office. Federal News Network reports a memo Deasy wrote about the search doesn't mention the status of the current CDO, Michael Conlon. NASA will look for a new chief information officer to replace Renee Wynn. Wynn says she'll retire from federal service March 31st. Federal News Network reports she's been CIO there for more than four years and in government service overall for 30 years. The Department of Defense uses accounting adjustments to make its financial systems agree with the balances from the Department of Treasury. Bloomberg's Tony Capasio told you yesterday those accounting adjustments were around $35 billion last year alone. Kristen Kosilek is director of, at the Government Accountability Office looking at this issue. Kristen, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What specifically did you look at about these accounting adjustments? We looked at accounting adjustments that the Department of Defense records at the consolidated level. So these are adjustments that they are recording as they're compiling the financial information and the financial statements department-wide. Mm -hmm. So incorporating the financial information from the services and other components. And what we wanted to look at is the types of accounting adjustments that they were recording. This is an issue that has been reported by GAO auditors, independent public accounting firm auditors, the inspector general for many, many years. And so we took a look at the types of adjustments that are causing these types of issues. We also took a look at some of the policies and procedures that the department has in place when they're recording these types of adjustments. And then because this is certainly not a new issue to the department, we looked at some of the initiatives they have underway. They have taken some steps to try to get a handle on this mm -hmm. since it's been reported for quite some time. And so we took a look at the initiatives that they have underway. Your report says that, uh, uses a term that I think is interesting, non-routine accounting adjustments. I imagine that implies there are routine accounting adjustments and these aren't them. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. So the recording of accounting adjustments in and of itself is not necessarily indicative of a problem. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, there are routine accounting adjustments that every agency and department are going to record as they prepare financial statements, consolidated financial information. And so that is not unusual. But when you are seeing lots of adjustments being posted and different types of adjustments that we talk about in the report, that's where you start to see that those adjustments can be really symptomatic of underlying deficiencies and really getting behind what's causing those adjustments to happen is where departments really need to focus. Um, you write in this report, DOD and DFAS uh, uh, policies and procedures for accounting adjustments are insufficient, outdated, and inconsistently implemented. Three different issues there. Tell me about a, a little bit about what you found about each one of those. Yes. Yeah, so 
as I mentioned, recording adjustments is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that agencies and departments have good internal controls in place that they've documented in policies and procedures when they're doing this recording. And what we found is that some of the procedures that the Department of Defense has have not been updated for quite some time. So the guidance that is there for accountants to follow is not current <coughs> and such that they are implementing things potentially incorrectly. Um, and also there hasn't been sufficient guidance and necessarily updated training mm -hmm. to make sure that all the accountants are recording things consistently. You told me before we went on the air that you've studied these issues at other agencies and are now, <coughs> excuse me, just looking at them at DOD. Do the principles that work in other types of organizations in government or out of government, would they also apply at DOD and it's just a matter of them not yet getting to this? Or is DOD a different animal because of the nature of the mission, the size, the scope, any of those things? So certainly DOD is much larger in scope than some of the other agencies and departments, but the fundamental concepts of internal control, maintaining supporting documentation, having review and approval for adjustments as they were recorded certainly apply to any type of department and agency. All right, eight recommendations for the department. Tell me about those and what maybe is, if there's low-hanging fruit among any of those that DOD should be able to knock out pretty quickly. Well, we focused our uh, recommendations, I would really say, in three areas. So the first area is updating those policies and procedures, making sure that as the accountants are recording accounting adjustments, they have good guidance to follow and they're doing it consistently. The second area focuses on um, having some recommendations related to how the department can continue to identify the root causes of these adjustments. That's what we really see as the main takeaway from this uh, audit that we did, is mm -hmm. that we really need to get behind what's causing them to have to record these adjustments. And if accountants are consistently recording the adjustments with all the required information, including the accounts that are being affected, why the adjustment is being recorded, those types of things, as management starts to try to get a handle on all the reasons for recording them and put some corrective actions into place, they will have good information to use to make those decisions. If adjustments are recorded without sufficient documentation and explanation as to why they're being recorded, it's going to be very difficult as they start the process of trying to get a handle on why things are being recorded. We have less than a minute left, Kristen. Tell me how all of this fits into the broader picture of the audit process that DOD is now undertaking each year. Right, so there is a, a large undertaking, as you know, to get consolidated audited financial statements at the department. And so this is one of the material weaknesses, the auditors call it, that they have identified as a significant control issue that needs to be corrected in order for them to have a good handle on the financial statements and the financial information. And so um, what we found is that the accounting adjustments issue really, like I said, is indicative of other underlying issues that they need to fix and that's really where they need to focus and the cause of why they're recording them. Curing this touches a lot of other areas that will also indicate progress then it sounds like. Yes. Thank you very much for coming on. It's great to have you. Thank you. Up next, a full roster for cyber certification at DOD. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what that roster of superstars will do next. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
The Defense Department's Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Board now has members and a game plan. The board should have the first draft of CMMC 101 training next month. Ari Schwartz is Managing Director of Cybersecurity Services at Venable, former Special Assistant President for Cybersecurity. Ari, welcome back. It's great to have you back. Any surprises here in the rollout of this so far? Ty Scheiber said, we're going to get busy, and it appears he's not wasting any time. No, they're making their deadlines, right? So they've, they've said that a lot would be done by the, uh, by the end of January, and uh, they're hitting that mark. So, What should people be watching as the the training that I mentioned comes out, the other issues that, right. the, uh, that CMMC's dealing with as they start to roll out. So I think, I think it, it just taking a step back, let's uh, talk about, so today, uh, when, when contractors are making, a, they're making an assertion in their contract that they're, that they're living up to a certain level of security, what CMMC would do is to have it be audited, mm -hmm. right? And this board is to, uh, to, to approve the auditors that will then certify the the, the companies. Mm -hmm. So the, their focus is, the focus here from this board is coming up with how are we going to go about doing this, uh, approving auditors. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, DoD is still focused on what are the guidelines, right? We know that it's going to be focused on NIST 800-171, 800, which is uh, how we, how you you at least for uh, areas where you have controlled unclassified information. Uh, that that's being touched. So th th that's that's a big focus here is how contractors are using uh, controlled unclassified information. There are other levels as well, but uh, that it, it, when so this DoD is going to come up with the with how it's set. Then this board is going to go around approving the auditors. Mm -hmm. Is there a balance here that this board will need to strike? Because there was one of the things that small companies have said is this has the potential to be onerous for us, really expensive, and prohibit us essentially from being able to do business with the Defense Department. And yet, we want them as a country to be secure so that they aren't the vulnerable point in the chain for countries that don't like us to try to take advantage of us. I think that's still more DOD's side yeah. of, of this, it's making sure that that happens, okay. right? The board, I think, uh, is uh, can we really scale this fast enough mm -hmm. to live up to DOD's expectations? How do we go about getting this many auditors or enough auditors that can review enough comp uh, review enough of the companies on time to make this happen? So in um, the short term, they want to get uh, 1,500 uh, of contractors uh, d done by 2021. How do we get enough auditors to be able to do that? It, that so it strikes me then that hitting these deadlines, as Ty has done in these the, in the beginning of this, sets a tone that we're serious about this and this is going to happen. That sounds like a pretty powerful message to send to the companies that are going to be subject to this. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, that a lot of contractors are paying a lot more attention when they see that the, these deadlines being hit, and I think that they should be focused on uh, how are my how are we going to. Uh, what level do we think we're going to fall in and how are we going to live up to that and looking back on the security measures they have today. What should a company expect whenever this audit mechanism is set up and somebody comes to see what's going on, to come to look under the hood, what's that feel like, what's that look like to a company? Uh, it's usually uh, the, the way that these the, the, that uh, cybersecurity assessments work and audits work is it's a conversation, mm -hmm. um, similar to a financial audit in some ways, but it's it's really kind of a, you know, what, what's, what are your policies, what do you have in place? How do you do you go about doing this? Uh, how does it map to uh, what the levels are that are set out here? Again, if you look at some of the NIST work that's been done in this space, 
Uh, that's really the key. If you can meet those controls, you're going to be generally okay mm -hmm. on the other side. But we had the, the final version we're expecting in the, in the next couple of days as well here uh, of, of what the standards are. But uh, looking back on the last draft, um, it, it, it is pretty closely aligned with what, where NIST has, has gone in the past. What will you look at when that comes out, just to see how it aligns with 800-171, or yeah, what, would it be what, other things that what you are the, pay attention For level three, what's the difference between 800-171 and, and, and this? And then uh, also how, how to communicate to some of the contractors about things that they might have to do uh, to meet these different levels and what standards they need, they should look at and what controls they have in place today and what, what, where they're putting more and more of the emphasis is falling. What do we know about any other deadlines or timeline that's pertinent to this beyond what we've talked about so far? Well, we know that so the, the, the once the standards out, then then we'll have we'll start to see this flow forward. They're, they want to start getting it into contracts for financial year 2021. So that um, they they, they want to get into about I think 50 or so contracts by that time. And so then people that are applying for those contracts, they expect to live up to that level. So uh, can they start when when are we start going to start seeing that language in the contracts? Um, the advisory board is breaking into working groups to do the different pieces that they have. Obviously, if you're an auditor and you want to audit in this space, uh, that becomes really essential to figure out, pay a lot of attention to the advisory board. So. And you mentioned the ambitious, uh, I'm using the word ambitious, you didn't call it that, but it sounds like an ambitious uh, timeline to get a just a number of auditors in place to be able to do all this work. The timeline for the number of contracts that DOD wants to let with this requirement in it sounds like that's kind of ambitious too. 50 in 2021 is one thing, but the number I think goes up pretty considerably in the out years. Yeah, I, they, they expect, I think it was 48,000 companies to be, certi to, to be certified by 2025, that's their goal. So um, I think that's the, the, it ramps up to that point, and you see the contracts ramp up along with that. What will you look at beyond all of this? The point is compliance, or the point is security, not compliance. What will you look at to see if this is successful at some point down the road regarding security? Well, I do, th uh, you know, we've had a number of cases where you have the contractors come up in the, in the press as being uh, the targets here and, and th there being incidents there. You start to see those incident numbers go down um, and a lot of the heat around this issue uh, for in, in the defense industrial base, um, you start to see some of the heat on that go down and then we know that it's been successful, but until then, you have to go by the numbers mm -hmm. and, and are people actually getting certified? Is this process actually working the way that DOD wanted it to? It's been a tough, it's been tough to do this in other areas. There's been attempts to get enough auditors out there to do certain kinds of certifications and it hasn't always worked in the cybersecurity space. So right. it will be good to watch. Dari Schwartz, thanks as always, my friend. Thank you. Up next, Fatara turns five. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what's changed since the first scorecard? and what the next one should look like. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. The latest Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act scorecard includes the first A-plus scores. The General Services Administration and the Department of Education got them. A lot has changed, though, in the first five years of FITARA. David Pounders, Director of Strategic Engagement and Partnerships at MITRE, 
former director of IT issues at the Government Accountability Office. Dave, it's great to see you again, my friend. Great What's to see you, What's your sense Francis. of the evolution of the scorecard, but more importantly, of the progress that agencies have made in the five years? You've been tracking this since yeah. the very beginning. Yeah, really tremendous results. You know, when you look at what's happened since 2014 to now, uh, with FATARA, implementing FATARA, the scorecards, tremendous results. And I think you could start with the CIO authorities. Uh, there's been tremendous improvements with CIO authorities. There's more of a seat at the table. There's more of a relationship with the various CXOs. That was, that's what FATARA was all about. Mm -hmm. Then you can go down the specific areas of data center consolidation and thousands closed and you know billions saved and reducing duplicative uh, business systems. But I think it's really important too to really look at what's happened over the years and look at who was responsible for it. It really was a collective, uh, coll collectively done. If you look at Congress, OMB, the agency CIOs, GAO supported Congress in this matter. I mean, it was really, th there's a lot of credit that needs to go around mm -hmm. here. And, and I think uh, also too, if you look at Congress in particular, the bipartisan fashion in which this was done, you know, uh, representatives Heard and Kelly are no longer on the oversight committee. But if you look at Representative Connolly and Meadows, I mean, this is still being done in quite a bipartisan manner. And I think there's a lot of learning there looking back over time about all the parties involved in the bipartisan manner in which progress was achieved. It's really striking to me. A couple of things I want to pull out of there. Um, Congressman Connolly and Congressman Meadows couldn't be farther apart on other issues that are in the news today. I think we all know what I'm referring right. to. And yet on this, they, work, they still, to this moment, work together very well on these kinds of issues. Two people that I want to call out in particular on that long list of, of uh, people that deserve credit. Tony Scott, Suzette Kent, mm -hmm. because they both have looked at this the same way. This is good for the government and this is good for taxpayers and so this is going to happen and didn't leave any wiggle room for the agencies to try to get by without complying with FATARA. That's correct. I think when you look at the federal CIO position, they embraced FATARA and the scorecard and the oversight and transparency. And that's really important. It's important with what happened in the past, but it's really important going forward. Because mm -hmm. if you look at how this really worked, I mean, a lot of this was OMB data that Congress used to score. And if you look at, consider like additional areas in the future to include, you're going to really need OMB's presence and have that data coming from OMB. Why? Because OMB can have data calls and you get frequent data, you know, every quarter, every six months. And some, some of it's almost real time, like on the dashboard, it's mm -hmm. monthly. So that it, the, the currency of the data is very, very important. You can't have something that's an FISMA report that's two years old. Yeah. Because then it's not reflective of the true nature of what's going on at the different agencies. I mentioned the two A-plus grades. What are Dave Shive at GSA and Jason Gray at Education doing right that other agencies can emulate? to get better, and, and yeah. I understand the idea is not to get a good grade, the idea is to provide better IT infrastructures and, and better CIO authorities, but you get the well, idea. Yeah, what, when I think you look at both those individuals and those agencies, really strong governance processes. I mean, this is about governance processes and having the right metrics in place, uh, whether you're scored on a scorecard or not. I mean, this is good IT management. And when you look at the CIOs that are doing this already, you know, Jim Jaffer at VA is a good example. He's proposing a digital scorecard for, uh, you know, modernization. And what's he focused on? You know, he's focused on the Mission Act and the GI Bill and the EHR initiatives. So, you know, that governance is what's really important. Um, Stuart McGuigan's doing a similar thing at the State Department, just talking this week about mm -hmm. some of the changes that they're making enterprise-wide, looking at the cloud and other things like that. And it, what struck me about his remarks, 
he's talking about these things from his experience in the private sector. This is what makes sense for an enterprise. Right. But it just also happens to be the same things on which he'll be graded regarding Fatara. Yeah, and really when you look at Fatara and the scorecard and that, there's always this back and forth about, you know, is it fair? I mean, we're changing things and all that. It's a lot of basic blocking and tackling that mm -hmm. should have been done anyways. Really when you look at Fatara and back up, Fatara was really based on OMB policies. I mean, data centers goes back to 2010, portfolio stat 2012. So a lot of these things have been around for a while. And really when you look at folks who've been doing a good job, it's because they've been at this for years and have the appropriate processes to effectively manage the delivery of technology. You mentioned data centers, but a little bit more than a minute left. You mentioned data centers, and the last time Congress went over this, with uh, OMB and the agencies. It's a back and forth between yeah. Congressman Connolly and, and Suzette Kent mm -hmm. about data center consolidation was Congressman Connolly's position. Suzette's using the term data center modernization, optimization. What's your take on that? Does, so, does that make a difference really? So my at this take point? has always been when you look at both of it, if you optimize, you end up consolidating a fair amount. If mm -hmm. we're moving to cloud services, I think that ends up being kind of a minor point. We'll, we're losing kind of you know, the forest through the trees. So, yeah. so what happens is you really need to look at going forward, how do we evolve the scorecard, looking at things like mission modernization. How about looking at the workforce? You were involved in OMB's 2008 workforce symposium. Good recommendations came out of that. You know, the IT and cyber workforce still needs bolstering. So there's things you could do with the scorecard, looking at mission modernization, workforce, and then there's specific areas, TBM. You know, you could couple TBM with the uh, working capital funds associated with MGT and have like a financial management score. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of neat if you did something like that. But even like EIS and you know modernized networks, those things could probably easily be scored. And I think what's important going forward is that Congress, and it, with input from OMB and others, that you're actually focused on the right things as it evolves. And you want it to evolve, you know, slowly. You know, get it out there, but you want to still want to focus on these big important things because CIO's jobs are complicated and they got vast roles and responsibilities. And I think those things down the road probably need to get some attention. Dave Pounder, great to have you as always, my friend. Thank you. I'm Sharice Hanner. You can now stay on top of all things that matter to the business of government anywhere, anytime. Subscribe to the Government Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Tune in or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. The Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Checkpoint Software Technologies and Swish Data, presenting this message on cloud security. I'm Government Matters Director of Content George Jackson, here again with Sean Applegate, Chief Technology Officer at Swish, and Jeremy Castleman, Cloud Security Specialist at Checkpoint. Sean, you offer something called Infinity Total Protection. What does that involve? The Infinity Total Protection provides a per-user pricing model for end-to-end -end security fabric. And by this I mean your firewalls, your VPN, your IPS, but also your cloud security, your endpoint security, and your application security. What this provides is a very well-rounded 
uh, protective fabric that's got a single pane of glass, so it's easy to reduce your operating costs. For small to medium agencies, this is extremely valuable. It also means a predictable cost over a multi-year period, which often can save an agency 20 to 30% of their total cost investment in security. Wow. So talk about that nexus there, Jeremy, between security and operational value. What should our listeners know here? Well, as Sean mentioned, the ease of management is great, but it also provides you that full spectrum of the Checkpoint software portfolio. And this gives you a uniform security posture across your entire environment, and it keeps, we keep it up to date with the latest uh, Gen 5 advanced threat protection. Hmm. So what about endpoints, Sean? How does this affect or impact visibility? Yeah, the endpoints where your users sit is often the first point of attack. Having the protective fabric, the sandboxing on a phone or an endpoint, allows this fabric to discover zero-day attacks extremely quickly in an endpoint sandbox, explode those devices, find those first-day attacks or zero-day attacks, feed them into a threat intelligence cloud, and then inform the rest of the fabric in near real-time. What this means is a small-to-meet agency can have an attack identified intelligently at the edge and then notified and updating the whole fabric as a community, so a much more proactive approach. Great info, Sean, Jeremy, thanks again for being here. For more, head to govmatters.tv slash swish. I'm Government Matters Director of Content, George Jackson. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.